Welcome to the 156th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. When it comes to a natural landscape such as a prairie, it takes a few eyes to the acre to figure out just what plants and critters reside there, and thus what impacts certain land use practices are having on all that flora and fauna. That was the goal of a recent event the Land Stewardship Project helped organize on a summer day in rural Minnesota. Called a BioBlitz, this community event consisted of volunteers working with naturalists to record as many living plant and animal species as possible within a designated area and time. It's a bit of a biological scavenger hunt. Such surveys, which are done across the country by community groups and agencies, provide a rough snapshot of the species in an area and serve as baselines for future monitoring. In this case, farmers and other local residents spent a day hiking with scientists and natural resource professionals across a hilly natural area owned by the Nature Conservancy called Sheepberry Fen. Sheepberry Fen, which is near Simon Lake in west central Minnesota's Pope County, includes a mix of dry upland prairie and oak savanna, as well as a large groundwater-fed wetland complex called a calcareous fen. Sheepberry fen is special, but it's just one parcel of land in an area of the state where several remnants of highly threatened native tallgrass prairie grow. These remnants provide a startling contrast to the corn and soybean monoculture that dominates the rest of the region. These prairie areas are controlled by a hodgepodge of landowners. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources manage some of these natural lands, while the Nature Conservancy owns areas like Sheepberry Fen. Other private parties have bought real estate in the area to utilize it for hunting and various recreational purposes. Finally, several farmers are producing cattle and other livestock, as well as hay, on grasslands in the area. That's a diverse group of landowners with an equally diverse set of goals. But one thing many of them agree on is that grasslands in this region are threatened by invasive species such as sumac, cedar, and Siberian elm. For the past few years, the Land Stewardship Project has been working with landowners, agencies, nonprofit groups, and farmers in the area to develop a cooperative landscape management system that will help control invasives across public and private boundaries while providing healthy grass habitat for wildlife and livestock. Part of that management system involves using cattle and livestock to develop healthier grasslands by moving them through these various areas in a managed rotational grazing pattern. Also called conservation grazing, this technique can help mimic the periodic, beneficial disturbances that bison once provided in our prairie ecosystem. Managed rotational grazing can also give farmers a good economic reason to raise grass, rather than to plow that land up for corn and beans. The recent Simon Lake BioBlitz was part of an effort to help members of the local community gain a better appreciation for the natural world in this unique area. It also helped produce a baseline assessment of the health of the land, so that, a few years from now, the impact of management techniques like conservation grazing can be measured. During the event, I spoke to Robin Moore and Steve Chaplin about the BioBlitz concept. Moore is a Land Stewardship Project staffer who's working with landowners and agencies in the Simon Lake area, and Chaplin is a Prairie Conservation Coordinator with the Nature Conservancy. Chaplin also explained to me why, despite the bad reputation livestock have in some corners of the conservation community, utilizing cattle grazing and other forms of disturbance are so important to preserving the grasslands that remain. This is a Simon Lake area bioblitz, and it's to start off a managed grazing project that we're doing in the area with the goal of controlling invasives and improving the native grassland habitat. So we've asked people to come out, and first and foremost, it's about learning what's around you 
and having fun doing it. Because the more you know the plants and birds and species around you, the more ready you are to take care of it. But second of all, it's to do what you just said. It's to get an idea of what plants and birds and animals are here, kind of get an idea of the numbers and see when we come back in three years after doing some managed grazing and community work on fighting invasives to see if the numbers increase, if the habitat gets more diverse. One of the things that it's really been fun just going out with some of the groups today is to see people who, they're obviously from the area, but maybe they didn't pay that close attention. They had driven by areas like this, or maybe they've hiked through them, but to actually start to identify different plant and animal species, maybe you can see that appreciation for the details kind of growing a little bit. It, It seems like that's maybe an important part of this. It's hard not to get excited. Once you start seeing things, you learn maybe what their traditional or medicinal uses are. You learn if they're rare or if they're invasive, and you just you start noticing what's around you, and everybody gets excited. We came out here with the leaders yesterday, and just walking 10 feet into the prairie started to get excited because there's so much cool stuff. And the more you learn, the more you see and appreciate what's around you. And everybody's, even people that have been doing plant ID for years, years are getting that as well. You know, you need to know, you need to have scientific surveys of the areas so you know what's there so you can manage it properly. Uh, and, you know, frankly, the, the, to getting to, to the depth that you need there, it often takes a lot of ex-scientific expertise to do it. But that's not to say that citizen scientists, people that are just interested in, in this sorts of, uh, you know, the biology and the ecology and the taxonomy of the things out there, don't have a very important role to play because, you know, the more eyes you have out here, they're all always going to be finding something new that then the scientists can take a look at and, and, you know, and try to figure out exactly what it is that's out there. But as you mentioned, there's the second side of that, you know, the opposite side of these bioblitzes, which is more community education to allow people to come out and start putting names on, on particular plants and animals they see out there. You can't appreciate a, a prairie plant or animal unless you have a name for it. And so that's in part what allow, you know, people are allowed to do is they can go walk through here, see this flower or that plant or this distinctive leaf and start trying to put in their minds, you know, what is this plant out there? And so that you can, you know, form in your mind an image and, and put a name with that image. I think just looking a little bit uh, kind of historically what the Nature Conservancy has been known for is buying up these really valuable parcels of land and protecting them. And I think what's fascinating about what's going on here is it seems like you're really looking at beyond the borders of this land that you can control and kind of looking at it from a community-based aspect of conservation. you describe a little bit that concept and why that's important and why maybe there's been a little bit of a shift in thinking uh, looking at the landscape-wide uh, basis of conservation? I, I think there really has been a shift in focus, and, and primarily it came with the recognition that the Nature Conservancy, the state, and the federal government could never buy enough land to be able to put it back what we call functioning landscapes, landscapes that maintain all of the ecological processes and maintain viable populations of the plants and animals. There's neither the political will or the money, frankly, to be able to buy all of that land. 
And so the new thinking is that we're going to use the lands, the private or the conservation lands that are in both public and private ownership as sort of a core that then you leverage by working with neighbors so that that they gain benefits by um, perhaps being able to do grazing on on the conservation lands, but in return will be able to rest their lands and take better, better care of those lands. And so what we'd like to see across this 25 5,000 acre landscape is a combination of private and public uh, owners that are working in a coordinated fashion to be able to maintain the, the, the biological and the ecological values, but at the same time get enough of a return for the private landowners so that they can make a, a living using the land and you know using the, the prairies and grassland in a grass-based economy to, to derive you know, a, a, a livelihood and to maintain the health and vigor of, of local rural communities. Members of the general public, maybe people of the environmental community, but also be, pe- members of the general public might be surprised to hear someone describe grazing and livestock and working farmland as an important part of, I guess, nap- natural habitat restoration and management. Well, you know, th- I think that's true. I think that a lot of people are surprised, but I don't think they should be because you've got to remember that prairie was a system that evolved with bison and elk and herbivores for you know tens of thousands of years and as a result the plants that that occur out on prairies are very adapted to being grazed and in fact to be able to maintain the health of a prairie I think you need to have a combination of a fire and grazing to be able to maintain all of the plants that would normally occur in those areas and that's that's going to and I don't think and this is my own personal opinion that you can accomplish with either one or the other. It's a combination of having the prairie prescribed fire these days, but also by having conservation grazing to be able to maintain the the species that you need out there and, and to keep out the species you don't want to have out there. You know, where we're standing right now here at Sheepberry Fen, you can look all around and see, you know, various different cedar trees, Siberian elms, all things that will come in and take over a prairie. Here in Minnesota, in this part of Minnesota, that if you didn't have some sort of disturbance in a matter of 20 or 30 years, you'd have a forest here. And it wouldn't look like a prairie at all, and most of those prairie plants and animals would be gone. And so you need to have the disturbance, the, the you know, the either the grazing or the fire to be part of, of this system to maintain the the, the the health of those prairie systems. Next, Andy Markham, who raises cattle in the Simon Lake area and does outreach to other livestock producers for the Land Stewardship Project, described the common goals the various landowners in the region share and how community conservation that crosses public and private boundaries can help improve not only our landscapes, but our main streets as well. A lot of the landowners in the area, they all thought they were so different in the goals and the changes they wanted to see happen on the land or what was going on with their neighbors and how their neighbors were managing the land. Well, after talking to all these landowners individually, I mean, we started realizing that they all have pretty much the same goals, just different ideas on how to get there. So we started holding, we had three landowner meetings through the winter, um, had a diverse group of landowners between recreational landowners, farmers, livestock producers, and public land agencies that all wanted to see the same things happen, whether it was invasive species removal, prairie restoration, improving water quality, improving wildlife habitat, all the above. Um, so these landowners came together, and we started uh, this year with 
invasive species removal, mainly targeting sumac and cedars. It sounded like one of the, the common goal that came out of those meetings was better grassland. Exactly. The prairie in the area, you talk to the folks that have lived here for the last 50, 60 years, they tell stories about how you used to be able to get up on these ridges and look across and not see a tree. It was all prairie. Um, that's all changed. A lot of this land out here used to be pasture. It may have been continuously grazed, but it was still pasture, and the disturbance on the land is what kept these trees and other invasive species out. So as the land started becoming more recreational land, cattle producers started selling out their livestock or just people that were retiring and moving out here wanting a pretty place to live. Um, that disturbance on the land disappeared, and that's when this problem started happening out here. I think some people might be a little surprised to hear how key of a role grazing of livestock can play in managing a quote-unquote natural area. Right. It, it plays a huge role, and that's kind of our main tool that we're going to be utilizing as far as enhancing the prairie and grassland goes. Now, there's a huge difference between continuously grazing livestock and well-managed planned grazing. Um, now, there's one thing that we say a lot is that land that is left idle and land that is continuously grazed the plant community's rooting depth, soil health, they're exactly the same. It's that rotational grazing, moving the cattle every five to seven days, depending on how large the pasture is, and really doing a once-over type grazing. So once they're in that pasture and they move, they aren't going to go back there the rest of the year. So that's improving the soil quality, that's improving the plant growth, and really going to kickstart and help rejuvenate the plant community in that area, all in turn improving water quality, wildlife habitat. This is a big planning year for a landscape level uh, managed grazing system, and next year that will be implemented and we'll be seeing four to six cattle producers combining herds and grazing throughout this whole landscape. I guess I would see another hurdle here is lack of livestock producers that we this is a this in an area that's mostly dominated by corn and beans regionally this area does still have a core so that's one of the reasons you know that this may work in this area but it's an issue where we're losing the livestock producers is kind of a race against time a little bit right the livestock producers in the area um i believe the average age right now is 60 to 62 or something like that um so we are losing them, and this is, again, an opportunity for beginning farmers to come out and and be able to, you know, run some head and be able to raise a family in an area where they can be sustainable, have a garden, run some livestock, um, and have an opportunity to farm. Really, if you don't have land in the family that's handed down, um, or if you don't know somebody where you can get in on, on some property, then it's extremely difficult, especially for people that are wanting to raise cattle, to get enough of a land base to make it profitable for them. I know that one of the kind of things that's been talked about in the more in the future, I guess further in the future, is this idea that maybe eventually you would be able to put together bigger herds of cattle, collect kind of community-based herds of cattle. They'd be owned by individual producers, but put them together in big enough herds that you could move them across the landscape, kind of similar to what the bison did, kind of that idea. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, that's an exciting concept, I think. Right. Well, if you look back to when this land was settled and when the bison were out here, um, bison and fire were the tools that managed the prairie that 
applied that disturbance on the landscape that the plants needed to really thrive. So looking at recreating that movement of bison, grazing the land and only doing a once-over type deal again, getting as close to that as we can with cattle, sheep, and goats. We think we can really bring some of this prairie back to what it used to be. And again, fire is an option that we have and that we've utilized. Um, So between those two things, we think we can really restore the plant health and the prairie community and the wildlife habitat in the area. Kind of that kind of gets at this wider holistic view of community that it's not just using one management system or benefiting one kind of producer but uh, really looking at how do we combine economic viability in the area maybe side businesses that would that would benefit uh, more livestock producers and tying it in with the natural kind of that whole idea of of the the whole community, both economically and environmentally. We've focused really on the 80-20 rule. All the landowners, like I said, they're a diverse group of landowners, and they're going to disagree on something. And we figured, you know, they're going to disagree on about 20% of all decisions. So we're focusing on the 80% of what everybody agrees on, and that's how we're making this work. So, yeah, I mean, the productivity of the grassland, the economics behind it all, that's something that this community is working on. Um... And and everybody wants to see it work for the better of the future and have a place for our children to be able to grow up and, and take over and have more opportunity than what there is right now. The Simon Lake BioBlitz was hosted by the Land Stewardship Project's Chippewa 10% Project in collaboration with Clean Up the River Environment and the Chippewa River Watershed Project. For more on the Land Stewardship Project's work to promote grass-based farming systems in western and southeastern Minnesota, see the Stewardship and Food section at www.landstewardshipproject.org. If you have questions or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.